0: At the far post, can he get a shot off? It's Ferreira to get his second. Yes, he does. Goes in off the hands of JT Marcinkowski. Thomas Ferreira has picked up the second. It's four to two, Houston Dynamo. Hello, guys. Welcome to the Houston Dynapod Podcast. It's your host, Joey Chabala. And today I'm actually not joined by. Finn. Finn is doing who knows what, God knows where. Today we do have a guest. We have the New York Red Bulls here. Introduce yourself, man.
1: Hey, how's it going? My name's Britt. I'm on the View From 202 Red Bulls podcast. And I'm actually from Houston originally and, and briefly worked for the Dynamo over one summer. So it's a bit of a homecoming for me.
0: Oh, sweet. So it's actually a bit of a homecoming for me, too, talking to you. So I'm, I'm a Jersey boy, actually.
1: Oh, nice! It's like uh, we we did a trade. What part of Jersey are you from? Um, Morris County. All right. Yeah. It's it's it's. Uh, how long you been down in Houston?
0: Uh, so I moved from Jersey about f- six years ago now,
1: or okay, five years ago. Cool. now. I've been up here for about a, a little over a decade. So it's like we nice. just you know had a delayed trade going. I got sent up here, and they sent you back down.
0: Nice. Yeah. What brought you up there?
1: Uh, originally school, um, and then just stuck around. Um, ever since. So I've been up in New York for uh, almost 12 years now. Sweet. But Houston, uh, Houston raised, uh, you know, all the way up till age 18.
0: Mary a fan of any other uh, Houston sports teams?
1: Oh, yeah. I, uh, you know, went to ALCS game four with all my Astros stuff on. Which is nice. A great time. All the Yankee stands were uh, selling their tickets for... 10 15 bucks once the Astros went up three nothing so make sure to enjoy that <laughs> but uh yeah it's mostly Astros and, and Dynamo kind of given up on NFL um, and then you know I've been going obviously I've been going to Red Bulls games uh, for quite a while now and that's kind of become uh, my main thing I go up t- uh, to up here um, but it's kind of easy that the Dynamo are back in the West now and the Red Bulls are in the east so there's not too much conflict thankfully. Uh, It was that like two-year period where the Dynamo were in the East. Uh, But uh, thankfully, that is now over, and now they're separate again.
0: Yeah, we had a good playoff series. What was that, 2013 or 2012? Uh, 2012,
1: I believe, yeah. Or or no, it was 13. You're right. It was 13. Um, Yeah, yeah, because it wasn't
0: 2012. That's when we went to the finals, 2012. It was 2013, because we we beat you and then got knocked out by SKC.
1: Yeah, it was um, Carlo Cosley's, one of his few goals uh, in, in extra time. They had just changed the uh, away goal rules, I believe, because they think if the away goal rule had still been in effect, in effect, the Red Bulls would have gone through, but it wasn't and an extra time goal. Uh, real, uh, a real letdown for that season, because that was the first year the Red Bulls won a trophy, of course, with the Supporters' Shield that mm-hmm. year. Um, and the year before, they had just lost a real heartbreaking series to D.C., uh so there's a there's a nice little spot in uh red bulls lore for the dynamo in that season even though it's very painful on the red bulls end
0: yeah man it's we've had some really good games between us over the last bunch of years i mean it was 2016 that was one of my favorite games i've ever been to in person it was oh you you guys beat us 4-3 came back oh yeah that game
1: That was a fantastic, that was, that's a very memorable game because that was in the middle of a very rough start for the Red Bulls. We started that season one and six. Uh, We had just won the Supporters' Shield the year before, brought back the whole core of that team, and then had sort of an injury crisis at center back and just kind of were getting bad bounces all the beginning of that season. And that is the one game they won at the beginning. It was a crazy back and forth. I think the winning goal was a Felipe free kick, Yes, yes, it was. Box. Yeah, great game.
0: Yeah, I I, I, I was really gassed up because we, we we were up what was it three nothing, two nothing at halftime. I think it was two nothing because Will Bruin was going crazy.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Last game I've been to at uh, BBVA. I guess I'm still I'm still calling it BBVA. I know they changed the name. No, everyone uh, does. Was... <laughs> oh good. Uh, Twenty nineteen, where the Dynamo won either three nil or four nil. And I think we had a red card. The Red Bulls had a red card in the late in the game. Um, and that that was sort of the beginning of the end for the Red Bulls there. That 2019 season is kind of the beginning of the current decline. They're sort of suffering and sputtering in. Uh, but that was a great game out at, at BBVA. Got to meet up with a friend. Uh, another Red Bulls friend, actually, who who happened to be also from Houston. So I uh, had a great time at the stadium. And it was uh, really nice to be back. I'd love to to be back and go to a game in person, especially since the team seems to be doing uh, better or on the up under Ben Olson.
0: Yeah, definitely. I was actually, I was planning on coming out to New York for this game. It didn't end up happening, but.
1: Well, you know, that might be for the better because I think it's going to be a very strange game um, and might not be many people in the stands. So it, it, you might not have missed out on much, even though it might be a good opportunity for the, the Dynamo to get a win this weekend.
0: Yeah. We Let's kick off with that. What's going on with the fans?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, as, as people may have heard, there was a uh, big incident last weekend. There was a 20 minute delay in our game against San Jose, um, where it eventually became clear that the new striker that was bought this last off season, Dante Venzier, had said a racial slur and um the, Players on the pitch were in some way or another, you know, waiting for him to be subbed off the pitch. And our manager, Gerhard Struber, did not do that, which led to a very long and confusing um, sequence of of stoppage on the day. Um, It's become clear, you know, what happened and ever since the game ended. Dante Van Zier has issued a statement through the team apologizing, saying that he did, in fact, say it and he, uh, you know, regrets it. Gerhard Struber has issued a statement through the team, not quite apologizing, um, but acknowledging, you know, saying that he had different information on the time and people in the fan base, the fan base, 99% is, you know, in alignment that this is just not satisfactory enough. Um, And most people really are are demanding that Van Zier be um, either, you know, suspended for a lengthy amount of time or released um, and that Gerhard Struber be fired um, for his uh, lack of leadership. Um, in in the moment and and not being able to take time or have perspective on the issue. Um, So it's a really, it's really a proper crisis, I think for the Red Bulls right now, Um, the, the fan base was already losing its patience. The Red Bulls only have one win this year and things have been really trending downward for them as a team. This is Gerhard Struber's third year. He was brought in. We paid a transfer fee for him technically from Barnsley in the English championship. He was billed somewhat of as a, Golden Boy in the Red Bull, you know, soccer system, um, and I think people had a decent amount of patience for him when he first got here. And there's some incremental improvement in his first couple years. The team has been largely defensively sound, but this year the results have get gotten pretty bad. The team is really struggled to create any goals or score. They only have one win so far on the season. So people were already uh, pretty fed up with Gerhard Struber. And now with this incident, um, most fans are demanding that he be fired soon. As of now, he's not. Um, I think there's there's many plans circulating for some variety of protests. It's too early to say what exactly will happen on Saturday. But I think it's safe to say that uh, people will a significant amount of fans will either be um, not showing up on Saturday or they will be showing up and walking out uh, early at the match as a, as a sign of protest. I think even if Struber and Van Zier were to be released or, or let go in some sort of way, there would probably still be less people. Match on Saturday, because um, also at the end of the day, the team is not playing well. The team is really struggling, um, and I think people have had really a big loss of confidence in just the way that this has been run, the communications around the incident, and just the sort of general competence of the club is being brought into question. Um, so it's a real gut check moment for for the entire Red Bull New York club. Um and yeah, for that reason, I mean maybe it would have been morbidly interesting if you're if you were able to come up for the weekend and, and see what it was like in person. But I don't think it's going to be a good atmosphere. And it remains to be seen how the players might react. Uh apparently they it sounds like over Easter weekend they had Sunday and Monday off. And it sounds like they trained again on Tuesday. Dante Vanzier, um according to the team statement, approached the team or like spoke among his teammates and is uh, stepping away from the team indefinitely no word on a suspension but it's not yet clear how the team is reacting to it how the players might react what the kind of morale is like um so it will be interesting to see what the Red Bulls look like on Saturday uh, but for uh, many reasons there's a lot of reason to suspect they won't look like a very uh good or, or attacking team on Saturday. And there's a lot of reasons to suspect that the team morale and chemistry might be off uh, this week as well.
0: Oh, definitely. I think everyone could agree that that statement from Struber was just, was not it. And you got to yeah. think that's just, that's just a gut punch to the players.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, and, um, and if, you know, anyone's curious as well, like I'll, I'll, I'll pitched me on our podcast be from 202 this week. We basically devoted the whole hour to this incident. If you want to hear the whole play by play, just out of curiosity. But if nothing else, you know, uh watching the match in real time, it's like there's just a real lack of leadership. Even if it's true that he didn't know what was going on, he just let everyone wander around the field doing nothing for 20 minutes. And where, you know, as the manager and leader of the team, uh that that it falls under his responsibility and he just kinda let everyone out to dry. Um and the statement, as he said, yeah, it's just not enough.
0: Yeah. Someone needs to really just take over that team and get the players together in that moment and he didn't do it. Yeah, um definitely. I'm surprised he hasn't been fired yet.
1: Me too. And it really it really brings to question like one thing. We've been saying on our podcast the last couple of years, like half joking is like, you know, who who is even in charge of hiring and firing the manager at Red Bull New York? We were asking this originally when Chris Armis was manager, when it seemed like it was unclear if Dennis Hamlet, the sporting director, uh, really wanted to do it or even if he could. Now we're in a similar situation where it's unclear if anyone actually has any power at the club to make that kind of decision. Uh, Gerhard Struber, you know, it was widely reported. He was a good personal friend of Dietrich Mateschitz, the founder of Red Bull, the entire Red Bull company. And that was kind of the connection that brought him in. Mateschitz died earlier this year. Um, so it's got us wondering, is is Gerhard Struber actually maybe the most influential person at this club? And is does anyone even have the ability or, or power within the club to fire him? It's a very bad look.
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, time's going to tell. I was I was yeah. really expecting him to not be there for this game, but it it's, what, Wednesday now? It's it's looking like yeah. he's going to be around for this game. Man, so it, it is a terrible situation, but there is still a game that's got to be played, so we'll start talking about that a bit. Sure. So the Red Bulls, I mean, we all know the way the Red Bulls play. I mean, it's very high press. You guys play very direct. How do you guys play against teams that all that like to play heavy possession. Cause that's what the dynamo have been at this point. We've been very ball dominant.
1: Yeah. It's interesting to hear that. Cause I have been wondering how Ben Olson has been doing. Um, and I think the Red Bulls, you know, there are, as you say, they're continuing to try to play a high press system. In my opinion, I think our press, the Red Bulls press actually kind of looks worse this year than it has. You know, a, a lot of the, Underlying stats still say that their press is really good, that like they're forcing a lot of passes under pressure. But the eye test does not work for me. I think the press looks to be much more isolated and dependent on the individual players up top, whereas in previous years, the entire press seemed to move much more as a unit. Incidentally, last week's against last week's game against San Jose, I think was a good example, where San Jose, I think, was a much better example of how the Red Bulls used to look where it was more coordinated moments where they would try to pressure up in the final third and then quickly move uh, vertical. The Red Bulls now have started to do a little bit more isolated pressure uh, on the back line and then um, kind of pausing and bringing the ball back and trying to be a little bit more deliberate when they uh, attack. We took it all. and trying to depend more on wide overloads um, and and kind of waiting for the full backs to get and uh, move up the pitch. The problem is that it's very slow. And um, quite frankly, the, the players don't look well coached or drilled. It, it, we've been very frustrated so far that it seems like the players don't seem to um, really be familiar with each other. And there's very little off ball movement. One, um, of the bright spot so far has been our, our new striker that was brought in Corey Burke has looked uh, very capable as a uh, kind of target striker and being able to kind of facilitate play more with his flick-ons so far we've been playing more often with two strikers up top as opposed to the one striker system last year um, but ultimately the, the rebels have still, no matter what really struggled to create chances, and have really been depending and relying on other teams making mistakes. If you look at our one win this year against Columbus, it's, it's largely predicated on, um, pouncing on mistakes. I mean, the first goal is Corey Burke sort of creating a chance out of a, uh, tackle in the middle of the field. But, um, then another goal that I think is a good example of this is the rebels goal against Charlotte is, uh, really opportunistic of uh, Elias Manuel, another striker of ours, um, just pouncing on a really bad touch by uh, Charlotte's center back and uh, slotting home um, just a one-on-one with the keeper. So if I'm the Dynamo this week and I'm Ben Olsen, I'm not necessarily too worried about um, the Red Bulls uh, being able to put too much pressure. Ben Olsen should be, you know, vaguely familiar with the Red Bull's pressing system um mm. from his days at DC United. And honestly, I think our pressing system right now is less to be has less problems or is less scary than what he would have faced uh with a worse squad in his final DC United years.
0: Yeah. I and mean, in our press or we're pretty good at playing away from the press at times, but sometimes we do make our mistakes. We have Ethan Bartlow, he's a younger center back. Sometimes he kind of gets caught under pressure and say, and we have Teenage Hade he's our other center back he's like he's kind of our big ball player. He's really good at dribbling. He's a really good passer. He does have the odd mistake in him, but he is really good at playing out of a press. He kind of covers that left side because we do have our left back as kind of our main wide threat on the team. It was Tate Schmidt for a while, but he he's out with a knee injury, so it looks like it's going to be Franco Escobar again on the left, who is a right back, but he he played pretty damn well as a left back this past week.
1: Interesting. Yeah, so the Red Bulls, have been, they've had a couple of injury knocks, but we were also playing a wide player, Cameron Harper, who's usually on the right. He was playing our left back position last week um, as our usual left back. John Tolkien was out hurt, but we, we also, I think, all rely kind of on our right side to get a little bit more forward. John Tolkien, even though he's, he's turned a couple of heads and, and gotten some attention for being a national team, Uh, A potential national team guy down the line he's very good um he's good but he's he's not um he's he's better at hitting like set piece balls and he's kind of a solid defender and uh he's not necessarily as dynamic going forward so he's it's great to have that on the left side of the pitch but i wouldn't necessarily worry about him as an attacking threat if he is fit for saturday
0: is he questionable
1: I think so. I mean, the, the injury news has been sort of suffocated under the ongoing issues, um, but he was out last week as well as uh, Lewis Morgan is is out probably for this week. He's He scored our most goals last year. Um, he's sort of a wide player, kind of striker position. He's a very lateral up and down player. He kind of struggles to play, um, you know, to his left and his right. Um, but if he were fit, he would be a big goal threat. Uh, as well Um, that with the absence of Vanceer and uh, I'm forgetting one other but it it, the Red Bulls will be hurting and kind of short-staffed this week in addition to their other problems too
0: yeah Uh, Lewis Morton he had he had a really good season last year I thought he would they overpaid a little bit for him from Miami because I didn't think he was special at Miami I thought he was good not great but he was he was pretty damn great for you guys last year I thought
1: yeah, that turned out to be a really savvy buy, and it might have been one of the final purchases by uh, our, our departed uh, head of sport, Kevin Felwell, who's now at Everton. It it seems that you know he left the Red Bulls more or less because he got tired of working with Gerhard Struber um, and uh, was able to find a Premier League job instead, but I think that was a savvy buy. I think the line on uh, Lewis Morgan as well was that the a couple of the analytics guys at the Red Bulls analytics team were running some numbers, saw something they really liked with Lewis Morgan. They knew that Miami was in trouble with their cap space because of their financial uh, penalty that they got, and they were able to to get him on the team, and it was one of the few bright spots last year.
0: Definitely. So you talked about uh, John Tolkien. I want to talk about a little bit on the right side. So you guys got Kyle Duncan, and I kind of wanted to compare him a little bit to a situation in New York City have. Mm-hmm. So New York City, they had James Sands, and they kind of, and they had a situation where they he got his chance to go to Europe as a promising young player for them, and he went over to Scotland, and he came, and he had like minor success there. He didn't really break out, but he wasn't terrible. And then he comes back into New York, and he's like a completely different player. He's been phenomenal for New York City this season. And now we look at Kyle Duncan. It's like it's 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 a similar situation. It's not quite the same, but it's a similar situation, where he he was a young talented player and he got his chance in Europe. What does it? then? I can't. Remember, I don't know how to Ustende, pronounce it. Yeah, Ustende,
1: Yeah, <laughs> in Belgium. I think it just means West End and du- Dutch or Flemish.
0: Yeah. Huh. Interesting, and he you know he he kind of was like James Sands. He was he was he had minor success there. He wasn't great. He didn't get a ton of opportunity there. But he wasn't a disaster either. He played like well, like ten games or so, and then he comes back. But I feel like he hasn't hit the ground running as much as you would you would think he has, like James Sands has.
1: Yeah, I think that's an interesting comparison. Um, Ustenda, I think uh, this is the second time the Red Bulls have loaned him back. They mm-hmm. originally sold him to Ustenda and loaned it back at the end of last season and have loaned him again this time. And Ustenda, I think, has said that they're not necessarily giving up on, on him. Uh, but I think the issue is really sort of indecision on the Red Bulls' part. Last season, the team was pretty reliant on trying to play out wide specifically on the right, and we brought in Kyle Duncan, presumably to provide a little bit more um, speed and in, in dynamic uh, attacking ability on the right, as opposed to Dylan Nealis, who was playing in that role before. Dylan Nealis is a little bit more of like a utility defender type player, although he is having a decent year so far this year. The confusing thing ended up being, though, that Kyle Duncan ended up not getting, not even winning that position. And in the one playoff game we played last year, Gerhard Struber elected to Play Andres Reyes, who's a center back for us and a phenomenal center back for us in great. right back position, um, where he predictably looked very lost. Um, so it's it's very unclear what the plan exactly is with has been with Kyle Duncan. Uh, I think that sort of remains clear here. He's he's only started one or two games this year. Um, Cameron Harper has played a couple games out wide at, at right wing back or right back, and he's sort of a converted winger type player. Um, And we know from his initial spell in New York, because I think Kyle Duncan's first season was 2018 with us, which is wild to think about, maybe 2019. Um, His strength, I think, is he's got a sort of loose touch, but he he is a decent dribbler and attacker. But he's really a confidence player because he initially came to the Red Bulls from a failed stint in uh, Ligue 2 in France. And the story was that it just wasn't really a good fit. He was a young player. The, the academy and coaches there did not really foster his talent. And he was kind of uh, homesick and coming back to New York was really great for him in that stint. So knowing that he's a big confidence player and really kind of needs a boost, it, the Red Bulls, I don't think, have been creating a good situation for him. And I think they have not been looking at um, his strengths and trying to design or, or fit him into it well. So I'm... I'm not too overly optimistic about his his potential as a player like in Europe per se, but I do think Red Bull New York has been a particularly bad situation for Kyle Duncan as well because the team has just been very distracted and not been able to slot him into our plans very coherently
0: yeah it's it's really interesting i mean he, I thought he was a really good upcoming player. I thought he was gonna have a much better ceiling than he has so it's interesting to hear kind of that he's not really even much in the plans that's kind of up in the air. I think that's interesting
1: yeah yeah it's 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 frustrating it's it's a bit odd that we have loaned him twice um it makes you wonder what the decision was with selling him in the first place he's He's definitely in sort of a weird in between spot right now,
0: yeah. And so, so another question I have with the signings, I, f- I think it's really weird that you guys went out and signed three separate strikers this offseason, and you guys still haven't really figured out who is the guy. You know, you, you went out, you made you made Manuel permanent. You went out and got Van Zier. Mm-hmm. You went and got Corey Burke. who had a great season at Philly last year. And then but none of them has really taken over as the guy. You still have Tom Barlow getting minutes, like... It's, it's yeah. a little confusing to me.
1: It's very confusing. Um, and interestingly, Barlow has has finally started to see his minutes decrease a little bit. It it was strange for us the last couple of years to sort of wonder why Barlow is getting so much time. You know, we don't enjoy being, you know, particularly harsh on any individual players. But at this point, I think it's clear that Barlow has a, has a ceiling. And there's there's some things he just can't do, and the theory that we had was like, oh, maybe Barlow is just sort of a proxy for a type of player that Stuber wants, and at this point, it's, it seems like if that's the case, it's, he's been unable to articulate what actually he wants, um, and I think that's a good way of putting it. This sort of issue with the three player, the all the strikers we brought in. I mean, even before the incident last week with Van Zier, it was it was confusing that. Um, we bought him for $5 million this offseason from a European league where they're in-season. So theoretically, he should be fit. And it took five or six games to get him to have his first start. Saturday was only his first MLS start, Dante Van yep. Um. So it took a while for Struber to even start his big new signing. And uh, on top of that, Garrett Struber has a very strong pattern where he seems to always sub out strikers about 60 minutes in, if not 55 minutes into a match. I think he's he's really into the, the pressing responsibilities of a striker. I think he seems to prioritize that more almost than than uh typical attacking capabilities. So I think uh in his mind the stamina and the fitness is very important. Um but I do think it's a bit of desperation trying to find these different attacking players. I mean maybe having Two, two strikers seems to provide a little bit more just opportunity for the combination play between them. But too often this year, the two strikers, whoever they are, have been on an island um, and not connecting with the rest of the midfield or um, the rest of the team. And I think it's a fair criticism that the Red Bulls have not been able to identify a guy. We, of course, sold uh, Patrick Klumala in the offseason. He was sort of the incumbent top choice. Uh, striker the last two years he ended up getting a little bit of flack because he just wasn't scoring that many goals but I think um, in my opinion it was clear that he was a quality player the whole time we just were not creating any quality chances I think that that has become more apparent among uh, or, or clear among Red Bulls fans this year as we continue to create any good chances and see that it wasn't necessarily Patrick Lemala's fault um, but I yeah I, I agree that uh, there's been sort of a desperation or lack of focus on trying to decide who's going to be the main guy and how the Red Bulls really want to create chances uh, at all.
0: All right. So there's another issue I, I have with kind of the way you guys go about your transfer business. So I feel like we look at a lot of other teams, especially even in the Eastern conference, like Philly, New York City, these other teams that do a lot of focus on Academy players. And, a lot of times when they sell these young players, they sell them pretty well, and then they replace them with other good young talent, a lot of times young foreign talent, that they could also will either develop into a championship quality player for them, or further be sold down the line for even more money. I feel like the Rebels kind of don't take advantage of a situation they could make like that. I mean, they go out and get a guy like Lucinius Is that how you pronounce his name?
1: Yeah, Lucinius, yeah.
0: He's a good player, but I don't think he's not... He's not a player that I feel like is a championship-quality player, and he's not really a player that's of a young age where he has great value to be sold on later. You see what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, Lucinius is definitely... He stuck out being a little bit older, sort of like a a not a prospect or project sort of player. Um, It's also... He's a good example of someone where he does not seem to fit the way that we're playing right now. He's had a really tough time at the beginning of this season. Um, he seems to do much better when he's playing closer to other players um, and kind of dribbling around and being able to combine, which the Red Bulls have not been able to do. So it's, that's been a very odd decision. Um, but I think that's a good point as well about the young players. I think the big hope around 2018, because 2018 really is the, the higher watermark for the Red Bulls at this point. That's when they set what was then the time, the points record in the league as they won the Supporters Shield. The hope was that, you know, the Red Bulls had a really good academy that was bringing in players like Tyler Adams, of course, who is the the big starlet but also guys like Sean Davis and Alex Muehl, who are not stars, but like serviceable players, who are really like decent MLS players. I really who, like Muehl. Um, yeah, I think, you know, Muil's great was was underappreciated in a lot of ways. And Perfect there was defense, a lot of hope. Though. Yeah, there was a lot of hope in our fan base that this kind of pipeline was going to keep serving. And, and there are a couple guys that um, we had our hopes on Omir Fernandez, who's still with the team. Christian Kostaris Jr., I think is a good example of an international player who was brought in at a very young age, about 17 years old, and has sort of become, he's the now the longest tenured outfield player for our team, um, that were supposed to be these guys. And I think they're, they're quality players, but they've really, I think, withered on the vine, so to speak, under first Chris Armis and now Gerhard Struber. I think the Red Bulls had the potential infrastructure to do the kind of recruitment and replace system that you're describing. But it's been, um, you know, a very wasteful couple years, unfortunately. And um, who knows what the future is going to be? Because I mean, again, with this crisis, the, in the last week, I think it's potentially serious enough where the league could be even asking questions about whether it's, it's even whether red bull is even an appropriate owner of this team right now so who knows what the long-term um, situation with the academy is but just with the quality of the academies nearby in new york and new jersey there's a lot of youth soccer that's that's going to stay true no matter what so hopefully they can get the pipeline back running in, in the near medium term future
0: yeah i mean it's a talent gold mine over there
1: yeah definitely Always has and they been. were doing a decent job at at you know Caden Clark uh, was is actually from Minnesota you know he they they he's not from New Jersey but I didn't New know York that. but they were yeah they were doing a a decent job of like poaching you know talent that he was recruited from at Barcelona Academy out in Arizona um, and then he was a player that was also sort of. Uh, banished for unclear reasons by Gerhard Struber, and, and didn't play at all last year, despite being, you know, on loan to us from Leipzig. Been very poorly handled, uh, despite having some uh, good youth still coming up through the ranks.
0: Yes, yeah, so that's actually similar to a player we have on our team. We have uh, Brooklyn Reigns, who he's, he's got his first two starts um, over the last few weeks. He's 18 right now. We got him from was it, was it a Barcelona? It was a Barcelona-based academy as well, and then he's been playing with our Dynamo 2 team for a while, and now he's finally breaking into the team. It It's really interesting. Yeah, it was Barca Residency Academy. I'm not too that sure where that is.
1: but That might be the same one out in uh, Arizona as well.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting that teams are able to just poach these kids from these types of academies out there and turn them into first-team players. I mean, I hope Reigns is a little bit Better of a tenure with us than Caden Clark did with the Rebels. I mean, he had that hot start to start off yeah. his career, and he kind of just died down. And what he had a uh, what was that? What was that injury he had that he had last year? Or the oh, year we had or appendicitis. Appendicitis. Three, yeah. yeah. So he had something weird. Yeah. And
1: yeah. to at well, well, we'll him. Yeah, and and then frozen out of the roster. I think it's safe to say, like Aaron Stoops as well. Um, looking at the Dynamo roster as well, I mean, it looks like a couple of the homegrown guys that were more familiar to me have cycled out of uh, the squad. Is that true? Has there been kind oh, of yeah. a new uh, generation of homegrowns, Yeah,
0: yeah. You probably think of like Memo Rodriguez and Tyler Derrick. Yes. Yeah, they're they're yeah. Memo Rodriguez is he's he just left this offseason. He's in LA now. So yeah. we got our our kind of academy guys that are. Being brought up, we have Xavier Valdez. He's a goalkeeper. He's been playing with the next pro team. Uh, we got Ethan Barlow. He's a he's more of a college guy than a academy guy, but he's a young player that we've been developing. Uh, we got Juan I mean, Castilla. He's been, he's the he's an academy kid. He's been playing with the Columbia U twenty national team lately. He's very promising. And then our other big guy is Brooklyn Reigns. He's a, he's our biggest prospect. He started. When Coco Karaski was out, and he he looks like a pretty good player. He's really big into the pressing department. He's a runner.
1: Nice. And then, how is the Hector Herrera era going so far? Oh,
0: he's been incredible. He's been one of the best players in the league this year so far. I think.
1: Yeah, but and then is is he suspended for this yep, match? Yeah, he's
0: suspended for this match. So it's going to be interesting to see how we get on with Adam. I think you're probably going to see Brooklyn Reigns start in his position. So you're going to see one of our kids play. If not him, it's probably going to be Luis Quesado. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He used to play for New England a while ago.
1: Yeah, that's a name that only really rings a bell.
0: Yeah, he, he, he's been kind of like our guy we bring on like 20 minutes to go see how to game. He's been that kind of player. We could see him start. We could see Brooklyn Reigns. I think Reigns will probably get the start because they're pretty committed to developing him. I, it's really interesting because I think we have such a good opportunity in New York with the situation that's going on to beat them. That's interesting, yeah. But we're missing Hector Herrera. This is like the one situation where it maybe actually be fine that we're missing him. But it's also like, if we don't lose, we'll be look back and be like, well, if we had her rare, we'd probably easily win this game.
1: Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how the game goes as well. Cause you know, the, the Red Bulls, despite their struggles this year, they, the way they play has made it. So they're, they're a decent bet to make the game very choppy and ugly, you know, the, the sort of pressing makes it so that most opponents have not really generated any chances uh, or, or high amount of goals against them. A lot of 1-1, one, 1-0 one, one, games so far. So it's a possibility that this game on Saturday might still just end up being an ugly draw or 1-0 either way. Um, it will be very interesting you know, to see with the, the sort of morale and uh, you know racism crisis going on if maybe this is a moment where the wheels fall off. Um, And maybe this is kind of a chance for Houston to really blow the doors off of the team. There was a window last summer where the Red Bulls uh, were starting to lose a couple games and uh, lost, started just letting in a ton of goals, three goals, four goals, five goals. And they just had a bad month and they got it together a little bit. So that is something that Strooper's teams have been capable of, even when they weren't under crisis. So it's something to watch out for Saturday as well.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, we're not very good on the road either, so that's another part to the puzzle. Mm. Yeah, so we're like really horrible on the road. So we've played three home games, and we've won three home games. We've We've played three away games, and we lost three away games. Two of them have been very close. Our first game against Cincinnati, we only lost two to one. And to be honest, we didn't play horribly, especially against a team like Cincinnati. I don't think Cincinnati played all too well either. But it was a close two one game that we kind of conceded off stupid mistakes. We and we also mm-hmm. missed a lot of chances ourselves. So we played good in that game. Then we went away to New England and we got we got destroyed. We got killed in that game. I mean New England, they're pretty good this year, so I feel I feel yeah. like that was not too embarrassing.
1: Yeah, it's been interesting to see them bounce back. I mean, they were so good two years ago in, in the, the twenty twenty one season, but such a dud last year. Um So, yeah, I I wouldn't feel – I wouldn't read too much into that myself just with our recent experience going up there.
0: I didn't feel like they were going to bounce back either because I wasn't a big fan of their signings in the offseason. I thought – I mean, Dave Romney, when they got him, I'm like, that's a good signing. He's going to be really good for them, and he has been really good for them. But Bobby Wood, that just wasn't an inspiring signing for me. And Latif Blessing (laughs) – is kind of one of those players I know is really good, but I feel like he he's one of those, he's one of those guys who doesn't have a best position like a best role.
1: Yeah, and and the uh, you know Omar Gonzalez, Josie Altador retirement tour does raise some uh, raise some eyebrows as well. Yeah, and they've they've
0: been they've been ridiculously good. So you know, fair play to them. Bruce Arena is an awesome coach. I can't I can't hate yeah. too much on him.
1: But they the, lost their uh, striker, uh, whose name I'm forgetting. It's not heal, He's still with them, but they haven't replaced him, and I, I thought that they would not bounce back. So, yeah, well played.
0: Yeah, I and mean, uh, Dylan Barrero's been a – that guy's been ridiculous for them. He torched us. And then, and then but then, don't you know, we went there on the road to San Jose, and San Jose, that was a really close game as well. It was a game of penalties. We can, We scored a penalty, and they scored two penalties against us to lose
1: 2-1. So
0: it was kind of an interesting game. I know you guys just drew with San Jose.
1: Yeah, I was really impressed with San Jose, though. Um, and there's they're something like fifth in the conference. I mean, when they played us last week, I know they were fifth in the conference. Um, and I think Luchi Gonzalez has them playing very solidly. Um, and Jackson Huell, I think in particular, looked very solid, looked like a well-drilled team. Um, I did catch a little bit of that game between the Dynamo and and... San Jose, but not much. Um, but that's another result that I I wouldn't um, be too worried about on the Dynamo end. As San Jose looked really solid.
0: Yeah, and those. This was a game that was horribly ref too. The, the The calls were very inconsistent both ways. We had one of our players, Tate Schmidt, the guy who's out injured now. He got injured in this game because they're right back at Capo, just like completely went at him unnecessarily. It it wasn't. It wasn't good. The ref did not handle that game well at all. So I'm not looking too much into that one either. I think this is our best opportunity, probably, of the next next big run of games for us to get some road points. I mean, our next away game after that is going to be LAFC. I'm I'm going to be at that game, but I'm I'm expecting (laughs) a loss. (laughs) And then we travel Minnesota and Dallas. Yeah. We travel to Minnesota and Dallas after that. So, like, we have some tough road games. I think this is our best chance to get points. I think we get a draw. That's my my prediction. I think we get a draw. I think it's going to be tough without Herrera. But we'll get points. And that's the most important thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, as you can tell, you know, I'm very uh, down on the Red Bulls right now. Um, But, you know, even without the crisis, Rebels have only won once so far this season. Um, so, if the I think the key as well is if the, the dynamo can be well coached and well drilled and avoid making mistakes, that puts them automatically in a very good position to uh, at least not concede because the Red Bulls have been really struggling. One weak point for the Red Bulls as well in the last two ish seasons has been set pieces, but specifically second balls on set pieces. So, you know, we'll, we'll clear a set piece, the initial cross in. But then uh, after heading out, the other team will then cross it back in or nod it on or something. In those moments, the team continually loses focus and uh, lets um, goals go in in those kind of situations. So if a decently coached team can, you know, pounce on that, that's always going to be a a persistent opportunity. Similarly, under Struber's Red Bulls, you know, there's teams like – Adrian Heath's Minnesota is a good example of a team that made sure to do this. And, you know, I, I don't think Adrian Heath is too much of a mastermind. I think he's just very sort of ordinary solid coach that was able to get two goals out of those kind of chances for his team. So um, I think I agree that this is a good chance for the dynamo to get some points that said, you know, sports are weird. Sometimes it's not quite the situation of like a team bouncing back when you lose uh, when you fire a manager or something like that, but maybe we'll see a weird sort of banding together of the players. That said, I'm still confident, even if that were to happen, the players have been really struggling to like just play creatively and create chances. So I think it's a question of whether the Red Bull successfully kill the game and create an ugly draw, or if they kind of acquiesce and, and let the Dynamo kind of score multiple goals and it could really get ugly if that, if it starts going that way.
0: So it's interesting you say you have set pieces as your big weakness. So we've scored eight goals this season. Two of them have been off set pieces. Four of them have been penalties. So yeah. we're kind of all about the set the set piece the set pieces in plays. We don't really score much in open play. At least we haven't yet. We've had a lot of chances. We haven't put them away.
1: So interesting.
0: But the thing about the set pieces is our set piece taker is Hector Herrera. He's not going to be there.
1: Mm. Interesting. And how does, how does, uh, what is it, bossy? How does he fit into the attack?
0: So, I mean, bossy, this dude's like everywhere. He he starts out on the left wing, but he doesn't really play left wing. He really tucks in, plays very narrow. The whole team plays really narrow, like everyone. Our right back, Steris, he's pretty much playing center back half the time. He's very narrow. Our, you know, our left back was, our right, our, yeah, our left back was a right back playing narrow on the left. We're such a narrow team. So he kinda of plays more like a ten almost, but not quite. He's a very creative player, he's a very good passer, and he's he's been a pretty dominant player so far. He's kind of been in that situation where he's getting he's not he's just not getting it done, but you could see all the potential there with him.
1: Like, okay, you know, it just is early maybe, yet.
0: Maybe just the final balls off, just that tad bit.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's it's early. He's
0: only made four. He's he's played in five games. He's made four starts. That that one game against New England where he kind of saw like twenty minutes off the bench. I'm not even going to really count that. We were already down three nothing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So in four games, he has five goals, four off penalties, and then and then the other one was his nice half volley he scored against LA last week as well. He's a good player. He's definitely the probably the guy to watch for you guys. Are you guys more a little more defensively solid through the middle or out wide?
1: Um, I mean both, to be honest. That's that's the one area where the the Red Bulls have been strong. I mean, I guess in the in the middle, I mean Andres Reyes is just a really incredible center back. Um, Sean Nealis has been um kind of the pleasant surprise of the last two years. You know, if there's anything Red Bull's good at, it's been developing center backs. This has been a sort of tradition that's gone through, you know, with Neelis, Aaron Long, um, Matt Miazga. Uh we've Done a decent job of being able to find Tim Parker. Although we did – Parker was slightly unusual in that we went and and spent a bunch of allocation money and kind of bought him as more complete project. But, yeah, the the team's been decent at getting um, some uh, good center – both growing and acquiring center back talent. And the central midfield, I think, is also pretty – Pretty talented. Frankie Amaya, um, you know, when he's not being frozen out of the squad for unclear reasons by the manager, has been really great. Um, Daniel Edelman is a youth player for us who's kind of making his emergence and late last season, potentially early this season, who shows a lot of promise. Christian Cossers Jr. is a midfielder for us who is kind of he's a strange player where managers kind of You know, both Struber and Armis. a lot of guys seem to see whatever they want to see in him. He's got a lot of tools, so sometimes he gets played as sort of a forward attacking player, but he's really more box-to-box player. Um, These guys are all uh, usually create a very solid center of the pitch. That said, John Tolkien is solid defensively, um, and Kyle Duncan is sort of, you know, a little bit more of a attacking player, weaker defensively. Um, But if we have vulnerabilities, it, it is probably more out wide than in the center. Um, but that is one area where we've been decently, you know, all of all of our defensive stats and most importantly goals conceded have been low this year despite our struggles.
0: Yeah, I and mean, where we are, we're also very solid through the middle too. I mean, we have that midfield. I mean, Herrera's not going to be there, but normally it's Herrera, Coco and Artur, and I mean, that midfield is as good as. Just about anyone in MLS this year, I would say it's 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 even comparable to LAFC in terms of midfield, and they have a really strong midfield. We don't have the forwards they do, we don't have the defense they do, but we're we're up there with the midfields. I mean, Arturid I think has been one of the best off season moves within MLS this season. We spend
1: when I saw he was with you guys, I thought, man, that seems like such a like an Olsen move. Where I, I feel like Olson's always very good at acquiring, like the the you know sort of B plus or like solid A minus guys from across the league onto his teams. And Artur, I think was a very savvy one.
0: Yeah, he's been, he's been phenomenal. He's putting out every fire. No one gets past him. His passing has been brilliant. He really compliments Herrera really well. He compliments Coco Kerskia well as well. And I don't know if you're too familiar with Coco Kerskia, but this guy is, he's electric. He's, he could cover every blade of grass. He's everywhere. He's quick. He's great on the ball. He's great off the ball pressing. I would say with an MLS, he is top five in the league at carrying the ball in transition. Like when he gets the ball in a transition moment, he's like a cannon. He just, he just runs so fast at you. You can't keep up with him.
1: Interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's exciting. And how long has he been with the team? This is his third season.
0: He's been, he okay. came in halfway through 2021, or not even halfway more like a third of the season left like right at the end of the transfer window when uh it was our Tab Ramos season and he didn't really do great with them but then last year he was he was probably the shining light on the team and i think early in this season he took a little bit of a step back cuz i think he's still trying to learn how to play with Hector Herrera cuz they kind of try to pop up in similar areas sometimes when we're going forward and I think the, over the mm-hmm. last two games, he's really figured out how to play with Herrera. And I think we might even see a better performance because I think last year he played better without Herrera.
1: Interesting. Why do you think that was?
0: I I, I, th- I think they're just still figuring out a partnership. Mm-hmm. It's kinda, I mean, they're both players that excel in transition a lot. They both love making those big switches they're both. They both love the more direct balls into your forwards, so I think trying to have them both do that together is a little bit of a struggle. But I think once it gets really gets going, it's going to be unstoppable.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I mean it'll be interesting to see how he goes without Herrera um, this weekend. So how how what's the verdict on uh, the Ben Olsen era so far? It seems like it's a little promising.
0: I'm I'm really liking it. I think the best thing for his career was taking those years off cuz I think he's come back to it a little more a little more rejuvenated. He's got some more brighter ideas cuz I mean we saw with DC a lot of times he was very very boring, very just counterattack, 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 sit back, very defensive. And he always yeah. kind of stuck with those 5 back or like that 442 and he never really played pretty. He's trying to play a lot more prettier. We do a lot more pressing than Ben Olsen teams have done in the past. We're definitely more possession based than Ben Olsen teams have been in the past. And I think it, it's very promising going forward.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, Olsen at uh, DC was sort of like kind of reminded me of David Moyes at Everton a bit, maybe, where uh, he was working with limited resources and kind of got stuck doing one thing he knew well that would get him like mid table. By the end, it got really kind of old. Even though, of course, Moyes doesn't fall off till it goes to United, but because um, his reputation, you know, among Red Bulls fans, is that we would joke that it was it, we would always want him to get hired for another year at DC. Because by the end, the Red Bulls were just consistently beating DC. They were once, you know, really peak rivals, you know, especially in that 2012 to 2014 era, 2015 even with a lot of playoff matchups. Uh, so then when they announced that he would come back, we would, you know, jokingly cheer. And then when we, it was announced that he was finally leaving, we were all upset. That said, I agree that like taking the break probably sounds like a great idea. And then when I saw that Houston had hired him, uh, me and my buddies on the podcast all kind of thought, huh, you know, that actually kind of feels like it makes a lot of sense for Houston. Cause my, my impression from a distance was that the last couple of hires between Nagamura and uh, Ramos and, uh, Cabrera. like the it felt like the that Houston was maybe trying to get a little a little clever and like, you know, go from zero to a hundred really quickly and just like mm-hmm. find like a real genius coach and kind of maybe a more prudent approach with getting an experienced guy who knows how to get decent results out of decent players was a smart move. And it seems it's it's really fascinating to see that he's playing a little bit more proactively and than he did at d c.
0: Yeah, it's it's really great to see and he he looks happy like he looks like he's just really into doing this like, every time they've asked him about how it feels to come back he gets a big grin on his face he's he's, he's really happy here I could tell and he seems to have a really good relationship with our GM Pat Onstead and I yeah. think Pat Onstead is committed towards a long term project and people don't realize how young Ben Olsen is how old is he what early 40s I want to say let me, Jeez, let, me, let, let, me, let me fact check that. He's 45. He's a young coach still. It, it just feels like he's been around forever because he has been around forever. He went right from a player to a coach at DC.
1: That's true. I forgot that Onstad is the GM too. He himself is only 55. Yeah. So it's a very young team.
0: Yeah, and we got Asher Mendelson. He's our technical director. He's a younger guy too. We're We're very much in it for a project. And I'm someone, as a soccer fan... I could be very patient I'm a big fan of building a team out over years I love I like vision I mean, I, this is why I don't like you're uh, talking about Jesse Marsh a little bit. I hate how Leeds treated him because I feel like he had such a good vision mm-hmm. for that team and then they just canned him in a year that really bugged me but'm I'm, I'm a very patient person a lot of Dymo fans are not patient because we've sucked for 10 years.
1: yeah I mean it's it's also bewildering that Leeds went and bought Weston McKinney for uh, Jesse and then allowed him to hire Chris Armis as his assistant and then fired him like two weeks later. It's like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like why yeah, did yeah. you even who approved these hirings? You know,
0: it's, it's um, ridiculous. I love Jesse Marsh, by the way. He, awesome coach.
1: Yeah. Oh man. We miss him a lot right now, but I think that's also a good call. And just being patient right now. Cause I, yeah, I, my impression from a distance granted not being super plugged in was that it felt like, uh, you know, Houston was maybe trying to do something really quickly with a couple of those managerial hires. So maybe just like a prudent, um, season. And especially with the expanded playoff field this year, I think it looks very possible that Houston could get like a, a decent finish in the table and, you know, in the playoffs, anything's possible. Like those 20, that 2011, 2012 run, um, the team was not high up on the table for those and they still made it to MLS Cup. I think yeah. that's true for the 07 run too. Literally it it is. are the sixth place team. We, yeah. we
0: we've we've always been a team that has, has been kind of average when we get in the playoffs, but then once we're in the playoffs, we turn it on. Like twenty seventeen, I think we finished I wanna say fifth in the West and we made it to a conference final. That was the old, that, Got that it. Was I forgot our, about that. That was our one I was in town appearance. for that.
1: Because I, I was in town for Thanksgiving, and it was the game against Seattle. And that was the, the second most recent game I've been to, uh, where uh, unfortunately it, it kind of fell apart all at once.
0: Yeah, it was tough. But it's incredible the way the way when we make the playoffs, we make noise in the playoffs. I, I think this team, we have a really good balance of bringing in some young guys and some old guys to kind of build with this project. We have some we have some serious vets on this team. I mean Steve Clark, Hector Herrera, I mean Franco Escobar, and you look at Brad Smith. He he's been in MLS for a while too. Now he hasn't played with us yet because he's coming off an injury, but he's another really good MLS veteran we brought in. And mm-hmm. to kind of combine some of that with the younger guys we have, like we look at our younger players, we bring in Van 21. Ethan Bartlow, 23, Mikael, 22, Bossy, he's, he's only, he only just turned 25, and we have Brooklyn Reigns, he's 18 starting, Juan Castilla, he's also 18, he's going to be getting looks too throughout the year, I think we have a really good balance right now, I think the biggest issue we need is just finding an attacker that really sticks, because mm-hmm. we could and that's the issue you guys have too. You bring in all these strikers and no one's stuck. We brought in Sebastian Ferreira last year. Everyone was super hyped. Record transfer for the club. He comes in, scores fourteen goals in thirty one games. That's a good number. Good, good number. And now this year. Yeah. This year, no goals, no assists. He's only made one start and then four sub appearances.
1: Mm. Tough. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a much better position to be in than we are, though. I, I do think the Red Bulls' lack of a, a forward kind of sticking is more uh, a managerial and tactical problem. Um, I think there's probably a decent enough amount of talent on the Red Bulls' side to figure something out. Um, But it's just so much harder to get that solid base underneath. And it also seems huge that, you know, bringing in Herrera... As like the star DP uh, international guy, um, and he seems bought in. Seems so huge. Like he's you know, very I boring. feel like, yeah. I mean, I know that was a, a worry. I think at first, it's like you're bringing in a guy who's used to playing a really high level to a bottom of the table team, but um, seems great that he's bought in. And I think it's also just nice to to have a Mexican national team player on the team. You know, back when I was going to Dynamo games, the the team was very good, but there was sort of a lack of. A Mexican or Mexican American presence on the team, and it's nice to see that really clicking. Um, oh, it's great, and, and I'm sure it's making it great.
0: Yeah. yeah, and even last night the the women's team, the Dash, they they played against the Mexican women's national team, and Herrera came to the game. He brought his family, dressed up in Mexico gear. He went on the field and took pictures with all the Mexican players and the Dash players. It's it's, it's great to have him around. He's oh, he's seriously great. a pre- a pleasure, and he's. He's embracing the young guys. He's He's been just a big, big factor for our team, and he's been a leader. And it's something that we couldn't even say last year because he kind of looked uninterested last year, but I think we're looking at him because he was coming into a team, bottom of the table halfway through a season, coming off an injury, and then he gets another injury after like a few games with us, and then he's got a World Cup in a few months to look forward to, so he I kind of get it. Yeah. And now after all that he's comes into this season with a new coach and he just looks fresh. He looks bought in. He's ready to be the man for us.
1: Yeah, seems like a credit to Olsen as well that he got him to to kind of buy in too.
0: The thing with Olsen but... I really like is every time there's big name players for Olsen he always gets them performing. He always gets them bought in. You mm-hmm. looked at Wayne Rooney, you looked at Lucio acosta these guys really bought into him as a coach and they played their ass off for him
1: that's true that's true it is remarkable that that rooney period in dc didn't lead to too many wins but he did look much more motivated there than i uh than i really expected and yeah. i guess he had a good enough time that he you know decided to come back and manage himself
0: i mean he was it was so high effort that he created the greatest play in mls history you know what play i'm talking about right
1: yeah, that yeah the the yeah I it pains me to admit that 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 looked like it was amazing in the stadium. That stadium looks like it's falling apart and not a great place to see a game. But that that clip where he does the tackle and the long the long uh assist, it, I have to you know credit where credits due.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. He, he's got he's got Hector Herrera playing at a level where. I feel like if that situation arose for Hector Herrera to put in that type of effort to make a play like that, he would.
1: He... Yeah, no that that's that's definitely something to keep an eye out for. And I'm excited. You know, I'm I'm of course fundamentally very sad about the situation with the Red Bulls this week. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go in person, but and it's sort of sad that if I don't go in person, I'm going to be missing out on the Dynamo. But in some ways, it's also. Nice that I have an interesting team that I have a connection with that I can watch this week as well because if the Red Bulls were just playing a random team, I think it would make it so I'd be completely uninterested in Saturday but uh, the fact that the Dynamo are in town and they've got a couple interesting things going makes me uh, pretty excited for this week and I think it's it's really been interesting to hear uh, how the Dynamo been doing. I'm been glad to see that I'm glad to hear that not only the results decent, but some of the, you know, the eye test and underlying stuff with the team culture and everything sounds good too.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just completely built up from the ground up. I mean, we got a new owner in and he, you know, we didn't even have, we didn't even have like stats guys at the club at all. Yeah. I mean, it's a big thing with the Red Bulls. I know they're all about their statistics and stuff. We, we didn't have any of that. He brought in a whole new scouting department, technical director, new GM, new coach, whole new coaching staff like completely it's it's crazy and it's going to take time but like we're committed to this project it's 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 going to get us back in a good spot i think
1: yeah i hope so and uh, yeah i guess that the old sporting director or general manager guy that what was his name jordan jordan Montreal, yeah, it seemed like maybe it was time to close the chapter, or close the book on that. So it does seem like this has been a much better era so far. He,
0: he he was clueless at times. I mean, don't get me wrong, Jordan, I think people don't want to hear this, but Jordan had some pretty nifty signings we made under him. And you look at Albert Delis, phenomenal signing. Marmanotas, Minotas, phenomenal signing. And I mean, you guys would know they destroyed you guys last time we played.
1: Yeah. You yeah, go, that was that 2019 game, probably. Yep.
0: And you look at Alex Lima, like that was a ridiculously good trade. Eric Alexander was a ridiculously good pickup for us at the time. Like in that kind of 2017, 2018, 2019 period, I thought Matt Jordan was actually doing really well, and then he kind of just fell off a cliff again. Come 2020, I mean, the Darwin Quintero signing was kind of horrible. I mean, he was a good player, but he just never really fit what we were doing, and then Tim Parker move was just a complete mess. It was time for him to go.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was wondering how he was doing. I I, I did think, I, when he was brought to the Red Bulls, it really felt like he was brought in to be a very specific cog in this very specific machine that we built. He was kind of a seek and destroy defender, but also like had a curious and interesting amount of passing out of the back responsibility so when we traded him it did sort of make sense in a way because that very specific tactical system had left with Jesse Marsh Chris armis had kind of watered it down a bit so I did suspect he might struggle just if going into a different team and not being given a very specific mission um, so i'm I'm glad though that he was able to be moved on and it didn't it didn't um, get in the way of team building for too much longer it sounds like
0: yeah, I mean, we brought him in in 2021 to kind of be the guy in the back. And he he just wasn't great. He played every single minute of the season, by the way, which is that's impressive. <laughs> that's awesome. But yeah. he just never really kicked on as being great. And then we ended up bringing in Teenage Chedebe, who's still one of our starting center backs now. And, and then we had two center backs making over a million dollars a year. And we kind of had a middle-of-the-road defense, like it wasn't adding up. So Parker really needed to go. I'm glad we got rid of him. He seemed like an awesome dude. He's playing great in St. Louis, so I'm happy for him. But he, he it was time for him to go. It was not a good move for us.
1: Oh, sorry. I dropped for a second. No, you're all good. Okay. I'm back now.
0: All right. Let, let's start, let's start wrapping it up a little bit, but what are your, what's your, yeah, lineup, that'd be great. What's, yeah. What's your lineup predictions for your game? What do you, what do you got going for, uh, for the Red Bulls?
1: Uh, so Carlos Cornell is definitely going to start in goal. Um, he's been a bit shaky so far this year, but you know, in the last two years he's proved he's generally clearly a number one, great goalkeeper, Um don't know what the fitness status is. If John Tolkien is fit, he'll be at left back. Um, I think probably going to do four at the back. That's what we've been doing this season. We were doing five last year. So Tolkien at left back, Reyes at center back, and Nealis at center back, Sean Nealis at center back. Right back's going to be a question of either Cam Harper or Kyle Duncan. Um, I would suspect maybe – I don't know. It's really a toss-up between those two guys. In the midfield, it's um, probably Frankie Amaya uh, has been playing pretty consistently with uh, Christian Costers Jr. And uh, if Lukinius is fit, I imagine he'd start. Um, Corey Burke will probably get some minutes. Dante Venzier, of course, will not be playing. Um, so I suspect that L.S. Manuel may be uh, the other striker, The kind of the two-striker system. Um, I think if I don't think Morgan's going to be fit, he would be. I think the the final complementary piece. So with that in mind, I'm actually going to say that Duncan's probably going to play right back, and Cam Harper is going to be another uh, wide attacking player. I think that's eleven players. I hope I didn't double count. But that I think is what you can vaguely expect from the Red Bulls in a 4-2-2-2 system. Is kind of what it's been called. There's there's different adjustments to that, but two deep lying midfielders, kind of two more central midfielders and then uh, uh, two attacking players up at the tip of the formation. There's a bit of give or take with that. It often changes at halftime a lot of times, but that's roughly the shape of the Red Bulls probably.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a bit of a weaker lineup for you guys because of injuries, but I, I I think it's interesting if you guys could have Cam Harper playing as more of an attacker. I think that's something that we could definitely take advantage of.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the squad has an okay amount of talent. You know, it's not it's not the best in the league, but I do think it is still sort of underperforming. Um, but, yeah, I think I wouldn't expect this team to create a lot of goals, uh, regardless of the personnel. Um, I think especially if Corey Burke isn't on the pitch, I, I – wouldn't worry about it. You know, I think Corey Burke is definitely going to be one of the more key players, to the rebel string something together. So if he gets subbed off or doesn't start, I think that's a good sign for the dynamo.
0: Nice. Okay. Um, I'm hoping he doesn't start. Cause I mean, I like him as a player, <laughs> but I don't want to play against him.
1: And for us, yeah, he seems gotta... like an awesome dude.
0: Oh, definitely, yeah. So good for Phillies. That's, that's a really good pickup for you guys. And f- for our lineup, I think we probably see Clark and goal and then a back line, probably Escobar is still left back and then Daniel Starr is at right back and then Bartlett and Hedebe at the center back duo. And then we probably go for a 4-3-3 and Arturo, Reigns, and Coco in the midfield. And then our front three will probably be unchanged and be... Uh, Bossy, Corey Baird, and Ivan Franco.
1: Nice.
0: I don't. I don't Corey see us Baird changing much. Got he's there now. Yeah. So Corey Baird's a bit of a interesting player. He's kind of the hottest debate within our fan base because a lot of people hate him because he's not really a goal scorer. He's uh, he's a guy who presses. He's a guy who will carry the ball well in transition. He'll win a lot of set pieces. I mean, I told you we've had a lot of penalties. I think he's won. Two or three of those penalties. So he, he he's been kind of invisible at times, but he's also been really good at other things. So he's an interesting player. He he he's probably going to get the start as our striker again. There is always a situation where we could see him go out to a winger, and then we bring in Sebastian Ferrer, the DP, as our striker. I don't think we're going to see that because I mean we played pretty well lately without him playing. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But it's always an option we
1: could see. Interesting. Something to watch out for for sure.
0: Yeah. So what what's your what's your score prediction, man?
1: You know, I think I'm gonna go with one 0 Houston. One nil Houston don't think the Red Bulls are gonna score a lot. They've been struggling. Morale does not help, but I'm gonna have to bet that they still do keep it sort of just like an ugly tight game. So it's going to be a 1-0 Houston win away. I could see that.
0: Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go 2-1, I think, Houston. I think we're going to carry the momentum from last week, a big 3 nothing win. We got all the momentum on our side. You guys have the complete opposite of momentum. I think, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really ugly, but I think we're going to just squeak out a win without Herrera, and we're going to feel really good about it.
1: Yeah, and I think you should. I think strike when the iron's hot. Definitely,
0: yeah. Um, There's it, no better time to play you guys than right now, so I think it's very <laughs> very great timing for us to get a, for our first road win of the season and try to carry that momentum into Miami next week.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't bet against it, for sure.
0: Yeah, man. Dude, it was a great discussion with you. We got a, well over an hour or so.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, sorry, I mean, my on our podcast we always go long. So uh, no, I dude, I I like
0: long. <laughs> long great. is good, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, I had a great time. Thanks for having me on.
0: And yeah, no problem. Yeah, everyone, check out View from Two Hundred Two. How how often do you guys post? Do you guys weekly?
1: Yeah, we're weekly during the season. Um, a little bit less in the off season, but every week at View from Two Hundred Two Two Hundred Two on Twitter.
0: Awesome. Yeah, everyone, go check them out rate them follow them do whatever i'm gonna definitely be checking out your guys content from here on out
1: great thanks so much man you guys have a great show really enjoyed coming on talking to you about both our situation and catching up on dynamo world
0: oh yeah i appreciate it man everyone listening don't forget to follow don't forget to rate the podcast and everyone go dynamo got Ferreira at the far post. Can he get a shot off? It's Ferreira to get his second! Yes, he does! Goes in off the hands of J.T. Marcinkowski. Thomas Ferreira has picked up the second. It's 4-2 to two, Houston Dynamo. Big shout out to my favorite band, Familiar with Failure, for the introductory music. You can find them at F-W-F-T-X on all social media platforms.
1: Once again, that's familiar with failure. Check them out. Badass band. Cool-ass people.